the relevant and I think interesting part of of this work is that the research is showing that a person's stage or stages of vertical development are highly correlated with one's leadership effectiveness and ability to get organizational outcomes. And so this is a really nice complement to the way we have historically thought about leadership development, which is primarily from a skill and competency perspective. So the term competency was coined in the 1950s. Most organizations in the world are thinking about development from a skill perspective, right, or a competency perspective which we can think of as horizontal development. I'm going to add more, more tools, more tricks to the same human container. That's horizontal development. Vertical development says, let's make the container bigger. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, To get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantivos coach. And our guest today is Jessica Bronzer. Jessica is founder and CEO of Sparks Group. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. Jessica, over the years, you and I have had more than one conversation around a topic called vertical development. As important as this topic is to leaders at every level of of an organization, I would venture to guess that probably 90% don't know what the term means. So could we start just with what is vertical development? Yeah, that's a great, a great starting point. Um, And I love having this conversation with you um, as many different times as as we've had it. So um, vertical development is the psychological framework that describes how adults mature, essentially. The story of vertical development is that psychologists used to believe that our development really stopped with our physical development, essentially in early adulthood, by the time we were 18 or or 21, um, that we were as mature as we were going to get. And I don't know about you, Brian, but that just makes me chuckle because while I have fond memories of myself at 21 years old, I wouldn't necessarily wish her on anybody. <laughs> and most of us have a similar reaction, right? Um, we think of ourselves, we are around other young adults that we know are still growing and maturing, and, and we want that to continue because we know that there's more there for them to grow into. But it really has only been in the last 40 or 50 years that psychologists have said, hey, we think that there are stages of adult psychological development. Um, and let's you know, lay them out and figure out what they are. So there are a couple of different big camps of thinking as to what these stages of development look like. More or less, there's a a high degree of consistency, no matter which model you're looking at, although you'll find different stage names. But the the relevant and I think interesting part of, of this work is that the research is showing 
that a person's stage or stages of vertical development are highly correlated with one's leadership effectiveness and ability to get organizational outcomes. And so this is a really nice complement to the way we have historically thought about leadership development, which is primarily from a skill and competency perspective. So the term competency was coined in the 1950s. Most organizations in the world are thinking about development from a skill perspective, right, or a competency perspective, which we can think of as horizontal development. I'm going to add more, more tools, more tricks to the same human container. That's horizontal development. Vertical development says, let's make the container bigger. So horizontal development and vertical development together are a really nice combination of lenses to, to think about leader development. I think one of the most important things about this model, if you will, is that it is developmental. I can't start halfway up the chain, if you will. Correct. <laughs> and... Yet I think, and we began to talk about this a little bit before uh, we pushed the record button here, I think it's more and more important for leaders to start focusing on vertical development because COVID and the aftermath of COVID have really generated a whole new attitude toward work, a whole new challenge around the traditional workplace, the traditional work schedule a whole new set of expectations that um, at one point were generational, but now seem to have expanded beyond generation of what people want from the leaders that they work for. What is your perspective on the importance of vertical development at at this time in history? Yeah, I love that question. Um and I actually really love what you had to say about it as well before we hit the record button. Um, so I might ask you to weigh in. But even before COVID, what um, what a lot of us in this space were saying and a lot of people that we know in common have been saying for a long time that the rate of change in the world and the level of complexity in the world is only increasing. And so even before the pandemic, there was a business imperative or an imperative in general across all domains of life to be able to respond and take advantage of that rate of change and that increasing complexity to even just stay afloat, right? To have a seat at the table, to be in the game. And the pandemic, I think, was, uh, Robert Keegan uses the words in over our heads that when we are presented with a set of circumstances that sort of challenge our current worldview, our current level of maturity, we are in over our heads. And the pandemic I think did that for the vast majority of people in various ways. It put us all collectively in over our heads. And we are still dealing with the downstream consequences of that. Um, and you and I had started to talk about artificial intelligence as the next big disruptor um, after the pandemic. And I think what we could probably agree on is that there are not going to, there won't be a shortage of disruptors. There won't be a shortage of paradigm changers. There won't, you know, I don't know what the next thing is going to be, but there will be, there will be a next thing that puts us in over our heads, right? Um, so I think the way that we work is one of the most obvious things that is being challenged and is still being reckoned with, right? A lot of organizations are trying to move to either be back in the office or to do some kind of a hybrid thing. 
their uh, the pa- the balance of power has shifted radically back to employees away from employers where it was pre-pandemic. So people are feeling out this new power balance and trying to negotiate that vis-a-vis what they feel like the business really needs. So we haven't, we're not done, not by a long shot figuring out. And that's just one element of it, right? There's still supply chain disruptions, economic disruptions, all kinds of things that are still happening as a result of the pandemic um, that are being sorted out. So I think vertical development, that ability to, we can think of vertical development in a few different ways. Your ability to see and navigate complexity, your ability to hold multiple perspectives, take other perspectives and find a way to integrate those into something that meets more people's needs more effectively. The ability to self-reflect on your own thinking and behavior and make adjustments to that thinking and behavior increasingly in real time. And the ability to hold competing or opposing ideas simultaneously. Can I hold a paradox? Can I hold a polarity in my mind at the same time? And can I see both sides and integrate it? Um, if we think of those capacities as a as one way of thinking about what vertical development is, it's almost impossible to argue that vertical development isn't still important, even more important than it was before. When I think about vertical development, to me, there was a certain level up that development ladder, if you will, that was more than sufficient to be a command and control leader. Command and control ain't working so good no more. <laughs> um, quite of us were actually working with um, one very large client that that is looking to totally change its culture out of a command and control leadership. And that requires vertical development. How do you accelerate? And maybe let's let's start, if you could just briefly, Jessica, sort of walk us up the hierarchy. But, but then I want to come back and talk about how do you accelerate leadership growth in terms of vertical development? Because you're not going to make it as a command and control leader, just as one example. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, command and control is uh, really indicative of one or two stages of development that we could consider to be on the earlier side of the developmental journey that we understand right now. So I want to first say that we don't, I don't think anyone's convinced that we've found the end of human development yet. Um, uh, and so that research continues at the very outer stages of, of, of human meaning making. At very early stages of adult vertical development, I'm very identified with my own needs, my own wants. If you think about a, a, a young adult, a teenager, a, you know, um, they may blow curfew because they don't really appreciate that their parents are at home worried about them, right? They're very, you know, very self-interested, oriented around their own desires. That's self-centric might be a stage name for that. Um, Opportunist is another name for that stage. Stage names really vary depending on what model you're looking at. We then become associated with um, a group, group identity. uh, We call this diplomat. Uh, Group-centric is this stage. 
Uh, very small numbers of adults, by the way, like really less than 1% of the adult population is kind of in that self-oriented stage, uh, 10% or less in this group orientation phase where I uh, maybe really feel belonging to my group of friends, my undergraduate institution, um, my professional or college sports team, my family, my religious affiliation. I, I feel connected to and I absorb the beliefs of that larger identity. So I really don't know what my own opinions and thoughts are. Command and control from a leadership perspective kind of comes online at the next stage, which we would say is expert or skill-centric. This is the most populous stage of adult psychological development. About 40% of us have what we call a center of gravity here. It's where, I de- where I'm identified with what I know. I really believe I am my expertise. That is my contribution. That is my value. That is my self-worth. And that is where a lot of command and control can emanate from. I know best. You don't know very much at all. And so I'm just going to tell you what to do. Um, unfortunately, this stage is not positively correlated with effective leadership or organizational outcomes, which is why why leaders who are kind of stuck at this place are really struggling. Um, what happens then is that we move on to the next stage, achiever um, or uh, self-determining, where uh, teamwork comes online. We actually would argue entry-level managerial capability comes online at this stage. Uh, very goal-driven, very outcome-oriented. I'm able to work with and through other people to achieve a longer-term outcome. So I loosen the hold on my own expertise, and I'm able to bring you in and, and start to organize a group of people toward an outcome. Uh, it's very rationally oriented, uh, which is positive and also limiting because there are other ways of knowing things in the world that are not intellectual ways of knowing. Those stages that I just described are all the conventional stages of meaning making, which means that I'm really taking my cues about what's important and what success looks like from important other places, such as my family of origin, my boss, my friends, the culture, media. As we move past the conventional stages into the post-conventional stages, I'm able to put some space between Uh, what other people think or what other influences think and what I actually value and what I actually do. And that is a hallmark of the next series of stages. Self-questioning or individualist or catalyst are names for the next stage after achiever. This is where I am doing that hard work of identifying my own values, really appreciating outside perspectives. I start to balance being and doing a little bit more. I've been heavily oriented towards doing. The idea of being starts to rise up in me. And the stage after that, strategizing, self-transforming, is the stage that the research right now is indicating is most highly correlated with the ability to achieve and sustain transformational change. So pretty big bar, right? Achieve and sustain transformational change. Um, Unfortunately, only about 5% of the adult population reaches that strategizing stage. But this is a stage where you can see a lot. The playing field is very large. There is that ability to take multiple perspectives, integrate them, hold opposing ideas, find elegant solutions that meet the needs of many stakeholders, and architect bigger outcomes, bigger outcomes. And then the very late stages, very few people, so won't spend a lot of time there. But it becomes much more spiritual. Timelines extend past, present, future start to blur. 
Um, and this is where we see people potentially like Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, people who have a vision for generational change or change that extends past their own lifetimes. And they are able to do very powerful, very surprising things uh, that really, really set them apart um, as human beings. So that's a, a, a very short story of, of human development. I'll stop, stop there. There are uh, specific sort of levers depending on what stage you're at and what the growth, what, what's next for growth. So what I'm hearing is the vast majority of leaders are in those conventional stages which do not leave them prepared to lead into a transformational future. Is that correct? I think at a very high stereotypical level, the answer to that is yes. The more nuanced question and the more nuanced answer to that would be, what is the fit between what I am being asked to do or lead at work and where I am developmentally? Is that a good fit? Not everybody in organizations is being asked to achieve and sustain transformational change, but a lot of people are. So I think that fit that fit question is super important. Yeah, not only a lot of people are, my belief in terms of the level of disruption in the world of work is that more and more people will be. Yes. From the front lines and the front line leadership all the way through to the C-suite. So how do organizations prepare their leaders, support their leaders to grow in these ways that they need to grow in order to be successful? Yeah. I think the first thing is exactly what this interview hopefully is going to do for at least a few people, which is just introduce them to the idea of vertical development, introduce this new lens, this new way of thinking about developing people. Um, this historical approach to developing people based around skills and competencies is hugely important. It is also limited in some important ways because it does not explicitly focus on our worldview, our beliefs, our meaning-making system. And that's really what vertical development brings to the table. So I think organizations can begin to recognize that there is this important additional lens to bring to bear on helping people grow to where the world needs them to be to, to deal with what's, what we are already dealing with and will continue to deal with. Beyond that, you know, you can actually measure somebody's stage of vertical development. And that is a very, it's been a very powerful thing in my own life. It's a very powerful thing for a lot of people who engage in this work. Because once you know across which stages you like to live in, you like that are comfortable for you, it is then a relatively easy exercise to at least understand if I were to grow, what would that look like? What about what I'm experiencing now is already tipping me into that place? How can I support myself or how can a coach support me or how can my boss support me to continue to, to move along that developmental path? So sort of that awareness and having the roadmap that vertical development offers is hugely powerful and hugely helpful to actually doing the work. Without it, it's kind of like, what, what's going on here? Am I going in the right direction? Am I working on the right things? 
I think we're pretty adept, I would say. A lot of the people that I talk to are very adept at describing the limitations of each of the stages of development without consciously knowing that that's what they're doing. Um, and so then the other part of that equation is then what's the lever to pull? What's the lever to pull to help move through that? I think that really is a, a critical question. In a lot of our group coaching now, we're working with high potential leaders. We're working with leaders across different aspects of an organization. And I think they're not identifying the need as vertical development, and it is showing up in in both group and individual coaching, and in, in many of our programs blend the two, that leaders are stepping back and, and saying, I may be the smartest person in the room, but now I know I am not as smart as the collective in the room. How you know, which is which is vertical growth. And and so I think we're seeing a lot of commitment and a lot of desire to grow in new ways as leaders. And for me, this lens, if you will, of vertical development, especially as you talk about, we can tell what stage you're at. And just like any development, knowing where you are makes it much clearer where the next steps forward uh, should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the first time I took the assessment that tells you what your stage or stages of development are, I was in a really kind of a yucky place in my professional and personal life and was feeling a bit adrift um, and disoriented. And when the assessment came back and it said, hey, you do appear to be stuck. And by the way, this is totally normal given where you uh, appear to be developmentally. Just knowing that, even without knowing what to do about it, was so comforting and so helpful just to hear the, hear, you are normal, you are developed, this is part of the human developmental experience. This is where you appear to be on this journey. Here is what it would look like if you were to grow. And here are some ways to support yourself to get out of the yuck. I felt, I mean, I just felt so much better, let alone actually doing the work to move myself through it. But just to have that, have that reassurance that there wasn't something wrong with me, that I hadn't made a mistake, you know, I hadn't screwed something up. I wasn't sabotaging myself. <laughs> I wasn't a bad person, <laughs> you know. Um, that was tremendously reassuring. Yeah, I think every time we do self-reflection, there's a real value and there can be a real danger because we can tend to see ourselves as different than rather than recognizing that all of these things that we're experiencing are part of the human condition, part of the journey of growth and development and, and maturity. And we can choose to stay there or we can choose to continue to move forward. Yeah. I think uh, I haven't read it yet. I want to. Kate Bowler is a divinity professor at Duke and she, her one of her books that came out recently is called No Cure for Being Human. 
it feels like a nice headline for this part of the conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Jessica, what else is important for our listeners to know about vertical development? I think there are, uh, the one thing I would say about, you know, the question that we haven't dug into a whole lot that you did ask a few minutes ago was, uh, what do you do about it, right? Um, and there are general strategies that I've kind of named, you know, how can you continue to grow your ability to see complexity, hold those multiple perspectives, gain increasing self-awareness? You know, those are general strategies, general levers that uh, you can work on at any point and gain value from them. And depending on the developmental stage that you're at or that somebody is at, there are specific strategies or things you can work on that will be relevant to where you are on your journey. So if we take the command and control leader, for example, and if we have a gentle assumption that somebody is at that expert stage where a lot of us are as adults, one of the great coaching levers for that particular stage is to invite people to look at their impact or look at their results. Because even though I might be the smartest person in the room, if I'm not giving you space and I'm not incorporating your contribution and I'm not oriented to teamwork and I'm dictating and expecting compliance, chances are my results aren't going to be as good as they could be. And if you invite me to look at my impact and my results and help me to see where the gap likely is between what I'm producing and what I could be producing, that is potentially going to help me unhook from the belief that the way that I'm doing it is the best way, the right way, the only way, and invite me to begin to experiment with some different ways. Um, so there are many specific levers at each stage. That's just an example of one. So that would be the other thing that I guess I would offer your listeners to know about vertical development. And when people do start experimenting, it is just such a joy to be in the room with them, to to be a catalyst um, with that that kind of growth. Um, had one leader in a group coaching program uh, not too long ago, and the the focus of this particular session, which was the first session for this group, was really how, as a leader, do you develop a coaching culture? with your team, um, which is, again, a, 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 a vertical growth from yeah. telling people what to do. Yeah. And at the heart of any relationship is trust. And so we began by really focusing on how do I build trust and, and, and the importance of trust and so forth. And uh, had this one individual come back into the second session and, and we always check in and, you know, what have you done with what you learned the last time? And he said, I sat down and had a trust conversation with one of my clients. And he said, lo and behold, we trust each other a lot more than our behavior would say. Yeah. Oh, that's a great realization. Um, so, you know, this isn't smoke and mirrors we're talking about here. Th this isn't some sort of, um, you know, 
magical foo-foo or whatever you want right, to call right, it. Right, 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 right. This re- is real, and it really, really makes a difference in your ability to succeed as a leader. Yeah, I had um, uh, a client, uh, vice president level in a large retail organization, who when we assessed her, tested out at this expert stage that we've been a little bit focused on in our conversation. And uh, she told a story about being on a a work group for an enterprise-wide project and how uh, they had all had a homework assignment, more or less, coming out of their last meeting, and she was the only one to complete it. And how irritated she was that nobody else had done their work. And she kept her own work close to the vest. She didn't share. She had created, she had not only done the work, but she'd actually created a process for doing the work. And I said, well, what are the implications of the way you handled it? She's like, well, they all are slackers or whatever word she was using. They stink. I am better than them. Uh, And I said, okay, what is the impact to your employer? What's the impact to the project? What's the, you know, what is the impact to these other important entities in the situation and her eyes got really big and she you know the aha moment of gee i really i'm not helping the project and i'm not helping the company by keeping my work close to the vest so we explored like what was scary about sharing the work what was scary or threatening or uncomfortable about enabling those other people to do their part and she was worried about not getting credit she was worried about not standing out and that led to really wonderful conversation about how does that work in organizations? How could she, you know, how could that need of hers get met? Maybe how could she lessen her need to get recognition for her contribution? Maybe there was a greater recognition to be had in enabling these other people to succeed as well. Um, but I think the biggest realization for her was that she actually wanted to be playing on a bigger playing field and making a bigger impact and that the way to do that was by facilitating this group to be successful, not just being concerned with her own success. And that was big. That was really big for her. Absolutely. Jessica Brenzer, we're going to have to end this conversation. So thanks. So appreciative for your time, your wisdom, and just your presence. Thank you, Jessica. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Brian.